We're going to talk this morning about the laying on of hands. And we're in Hebrews chapter 6, right? This list of things in Hebrews chapter 6. I want to begin with this question, which is going to be different for everybody. When was the last time you saw an example of laying on of hands in a church? Just thinking about your own life, your own religious history. And it's kind of weird in Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. This is the elementary doctrine of Christ, right? These are sort of the foundational basic things of Christianity. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instruction about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. Some of these things are are things we talk about all the time. Most of these things, I would say, right? Repentance, faith, instruction about washings, which we talked about last week, baptism, we might call that baptism or immersion, resurrection, eternal judgment. Like these are the pillars. These are the foundational things. And then we have this one thing that we don't see very often today outside of maybe televised faith healings. Maybe that's where you've seen it the most. So when he equates, the author equates this idea of laying on of hands with these foundational pillars of Christianity, that should be a sign. That should be a a big neon sign saying, hey, what's up with this? Pay attention to this. The laying on of hands. Now, as we saw with the instruction about washings, there are multiple kinds of this in the New Testament, the laying on of hands. And really fundamentally, as we think about this idea, the question, there's twofold for this morning for us. What do these things mean for us? And should we be doing it more? Those are the two questions, right? As we think about this text, because of where this falls in the placement of this list, right? Repentance, faith, resurrection, judgment, the basics, the the most fundamental, important basics of Christianity, and then sort of this ugly stepchild over here, the laying on of hands. What's up with that? There's a couple ways this was used in the New Testament. Number one, And I would say probably the more important of the two. I don't know. It's hard to say more or less important in the Bible. But uh, let's say more common maybe, more uh, significant perhaps, was the imparting of miraculous power. Uh, In Acts 8 verses 9 through 13, there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying he was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention for a long time because he amazed them with his magic. Some versions have sorcery. Some versions might have witchcraft. But this idea, whatever he was doing, he was doing some awesome thing. But they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being immersed, he continued with Philip and seeing great signs and miracles performed, he was amazed. So we have this guy, Simon, who's basically awesome. Everybody loves him. Man, this guy's so great. And then Philip arrives on the scene and sees, or he starts doing these miracles, starts doing these acts of power. And Simon, the guy who had previously been the guy in town that everybody loved, he recognizes, oh man, whatever this Philip guy's doing, whew, this is amazing. Like, I don't know what, I I was doing some stuff, but whatever Philip's doing, he's way better than me. And so they're all converted, right? They're all immersed. Even Simon is immersed. Uh, And the question becomes ultimately, as we're thinking about laying on of hands, how was Philip able to do the miraculous? Well, we see this back in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out, this is, of course, uh, I should get some context here, I guess. 
the daily distribution of the food. There's a bunch of people in Jerusalem, right? They need help. They need assistance. They're distributing food to the widows. And some people are being overlooked. Some of the widows are being overlooked. And there's this conflict. There's a problem. Hey, how do we resolve this logistical issue? And so they bring it to the apostles. The apostles, this is their, their command, right? Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The duty is making sure that people get the food they need. We will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of uh, faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and uh, uh, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. A lot of names. It's these guys, right? And they set them before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, it's important to note, part of the prerequisite for being one of these guys Full of the Spirit. That was the, the, the prerequisite. They had to be full of the Spirit before they were chosen, prior to the apostles laying their hands on them. Does that mean they were able to do miracles or perhaps had they been immersed and received the Spirit, right? They'd been immersed. We talked about this last week, the instruction about washings, right? We have, Repent and be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they're full of the Spirit. They're chosen to do this thing. And then the apostles lay their hands on them and pray. And then we see in the couple chapters later, what is Philip doing? He's doing the miraculous. Philip's doing all these miracles. We see this reinforced back in the story in Acts chapter 8. So Philip converts a bunch of people in, in this place. And Simon's converted and, and everybody's immersed. And these things are awesome. And hooray for us. A bunch of people are immersed into Christ. And then what do we see? Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who came down and prayed that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been immersed in the name of Jesus. Well, wait a minute. If they were immersed in the name of Lord Jesus, isn't that how people receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Wasn't that the whole business in Acts 19? You've been immersed and they're like, oh, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul's like, then why were you baptized? Why, why would you even do that? So what's going on here? The apostles laid their hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And we have to be clear about this, right? They'd already been immersed. They'd received the Spirit when they were immersed into Christ. So what's going on here? Why did the apostles need to come down? Why couldn't Philip do this? Philip, he can do miracles. Philip, the ones that's converted all these guys, these people, he's been doing these signs and wonders. Why couldn't Philip do this? And the conclusion is obvious, I think, maybe not obvious, but there is only really one reasonable conclusion is that there were two different ways to receive the Holy Spirit. One, the general way that everybody receives the Spirit when they are immersed into Christ. And two, the second way that Simon immediately recognizes required the laying on of the apostles' hands. Which is how Philip was able to do the miraculous, right? Acts chapter 6, he's one of those guys that are chosen. They lay their hands on him, and then what do we see next? He's doing miracles. It's amazing. It's almost like that's how that worked. And then we see this here. They're immersed into Christ. They receive the Spirit that way, but the Spirit has not yet fallen on any of them. Well, that requires the apostles to come down from Jerusalem. Philip couldn't do it. Acts chapter 19, we see this reinforced again. And, and we've read this verse several times over the past few weeks because it's so foundational in this idea. Acts 19, 1 through 7, while Paulus, Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country. He came to Ephesus. He found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. He said, into what then were you immersed? And, and again, remember from last week, I don't like the word baptized. I, I like to do the translation of immersed here. 
Uh, into what then were you immersed? Into John's immersion. And Paul said, John immersed with the immersion of repentance, telling people to believe the one that was come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were immersed in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why were they immersed? Because they hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit. Which means their immersion was pointless, right? It didn't do anything. They needed to receive the Holy Spirit by being immersed in the name of the Lord Jesus instead of being immersed into John's baptism. But then there's a second thing here. And Paul laid his hands on them. Significant. Paul is an apostle. And the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. I don't think the text is intending that there were about 12 men in Ephesus who were converted. That's not what the text is intending here. There were men and women and there were, there were, there were households. You know, there's a bunch of people that Apollos was talking to and teaching. The 12 men in all is the 12 men that Paul laid his hands on. And what immediately happened after Paul laid his hands on them? They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Miraculous gifts. And so the first instance of laying on of hands, and I would say again, the, the more significance in a statement of elementary doctrine of Christ is that by the laying on of the apostles' hands, people received the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. The ability to do the supernatural. And again, it's important to note, Philip couldn't do it. Philip could immerse them. Philip could teach them. Philip could even do the miraculous. But for them to receive this miraculous gift, they had to send back to Jerusalem. Hey, some of the apostles need to come down here and lay their hands on these people. Because Philip couldn't do it. And Simon immediately recognized, right? Oh, obviously this is given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Give it to me too. And Peter was very unhappy with him about that, right? How dare you think that you could buy the gift of God with money? So that's the first instance of this. And I would suggest perhaps the more relevant in a list, we'll talk about why this is, the more relevant in a list of elementary doctrine of Christ. But there is a second way that this phrase is used in the New Testament as we think about uh, the laying on of hands. And that is the conferral of approval or authority. Maybe a sign of approval and authority. We see this most clearly in Acts 13, 1 through 3. Allergies is just crazy, guys. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now there were at the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers. I'm not going to read all those names. There's a bunch of dudes who are prophets and teachers. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Who laid hands on who? The Prophets and teachers laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas, and then they were sent off. Now, of course, we understand, did Paul and Barnabas need to receive the Holy Spirit, miraculous or otherwise? Well, of course not. Paul's an apostle at this point. He has the ability to do the miraculous. He's, been, he's received the gift of the Holy Spirit, both in immersion and by the, the supernatural nature of being an apostle. Barnabas, he's able to do miracles because of his interaction with the apostles. He's been a Christian for a while at this point. Neither Paul or Barnabas needs either of these ideas. They don't need the Spirit at immersion, and they definitely don't need the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit. So what's going on here? What's happening here? This is not a, a, a supernatural event so much as this is a symbolic event. This is an event of a sign of a commission of a particular work that Paul and Barnabas have the blessing and the approval of the church in Antioch. And one of the things we note about as we go through the missionary journeys of Paul is they keep returning to Antioch. 
to give the report of the work. They go out and they, they go to a bunch of places and then they come back. And then they go out and they go to a bunch of places and then they come back. Now Paul and Barnabas split up eventually and that's a bad deal. But Paul keeps returning to Antioch over and over because they were the ones that officially, uh, not officially, originally commissioned this work where the Spirit called them, where they had this sign of approval and authority. 1 Timothy 5, 21. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Timothy in the position of me, uh, the, the minister in probably Ephesus at this time, right? He's, and, and Timothy's interesting. He goes on a bunch of missionary journeys with Paul, but then he ends up in Ephesus where he hangs out for a while. He stays and does the work of an evangelist. He stays and does the work of a minister for a long period of time. And Paul is giving him some instructions about how to do that work. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Could Timothy impart the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit? No, he could not. He couldn't do that. He's not an apostle. He doesn't have that ability. Just like Philip couldn't do it in Acts chapter 8. Timothy couldn't do it. And yet, there is an implication, of course, that he would be involved with laying on of hands, that he would be doing that. Now, he wouldn't be hasty in that, but Paul doesn't say never do it. The instruction is be careful when you do it. Be careful how you're doing it. Because there was an expectation that he would be. And we see what that means in the next part of this, right? Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands nor take part in the sin of others. Keep yourself pure. If the laying on of hands was a sign of approval, a sign of authority, an outward symbol of some sort of commissioned work, then by laying, Timothy laying his hands on people, he would be saying, we approve of your work. We approve of this mission. We approve of what you're doing. And if that person then goes around and, and is a bad influence and engages in sinful behavior and misrepresents the church, then now he has taken part in, that is, Timothy would have been taking part in the sins of others. He would have tainted the reputation of the church by approving of the work that somebody is doing that was unrighteous, that was sinful, that was unholy. Keep yourself pure. Do not take part in the sins of others. Part of that means don't be hasty in laying on hands. Be judicious in where you give your official approval. Be, be reasonable and wise about the works that you take part in, the ministries that you approve. Timothy is somewhat unique in the text of the New Testament as someone who we can confidently say experienced both of these. The laying on of hands for miraculous power, and the laying on of hands as a commission and a sign of approval. 2 Timothy 1, 6-7, Paul writing to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan and flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul laid his hands on Timothy and gave him some miraculous gift. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of love and power and self-control. But Paul had previously said in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Well, which is it, Paul? Did you lay your hands on Timothy or did the council of elders? And of course, the answer is yes. Paul gave him the miraculous gift of the Spirit. What is the gift then in 1 Timothy 4? Well, what was the gift? The public reading of Scripture, the exhortation, to teaching. The Council of Elders commissioned and approved Timothy's work 
as a preacher. His work as an evangelist. His work as a minister for the congregation. And so when Paul's saying, okay, fan into flame the gift, that's the miraculous thing that I gave you when I laid my hands on you. But don't neglect the other gift, the gift of your work, the gift of your service in the church, which the council of elders gave you when they laid their hands on you to commission you to serve the church. And First and Second Timothy are all about that gift. Timothy, how do you serve the church in a way that is good and right, in a way that encourages the church, in a way that builds up the church? How do you engage in this gift? And so we see in Timothy both of these things. The imparting of miraculous ability and also the commissioning of a specific work in the church. What does this mean for us today? And that, ultimately we come back to this, okay? For the church today, if we're thinking about laying on of hands as an elementary doctrine of Christ, a fundamental principle, one of the purposes of this doctrine definitely still exists. Right? One of these things we could still do. The approval, the public display of approval as commissioning someone for an official role or a particular work in the church. Well, we could do that. And in fact, I've seen this done. And it's very powerful when it's practiced as the New Testament did. When the church gathers together, there's an assembly and, and it's either the elders. Usually it's the elders, right? That's what Timothy happened with Timothy, right? The council of elders. Those in authority in the church, there is a giant cricket there. He's going to jump up here and I'm going to probably have to kill him. Just, just ignore it. I can see everybody looking here. Anyway, Timothy, as he's commissioned to this work and we're thinking about for us today, we could do that. It could be powerful to show people that we approve of a work that somebody is doing that we want blessing for a work that somebody is doing, that we approve and we endorse a particular mission. And it would be wise to ask whether we should be doing this more than we are, right? Considering its position in a list of elementary doctrine and considering the examples we have in the New Testament, we strive to do what the New Testament church did, right? Maybe we should be doing this more. Though remember, that Timothy was warned not to be hasty because the damage to his and the church's reputation that would follow from endorsing the wrong person. However, the main purpose, I don't know main, the more significant purpose as it relates to an elementary doctrine has been fulfilled, the imparting of miraculous power. And especially in the first century, right, this would have qualified as an elementary doctrine. Who can do miracles? But the question is still important today. Who can do miracles? Why does it matter? That is an elementary doctrine. A fundamental, foundational question. Who can do miracles? Miraculous power is and was the ultimate sign of authority. We talked about that in our Bible class, right? If you're claiming divine revelation from God, you're claiming supernatural information, the only way you can prove that is if you have divine supernatural power. That's the confirmation, right? Miracles are the ultimate sign of authority. People clearly could do strange wonders. We think about what Simon was doing. I don't know exactly what Simon was doing. We have the example of Pharaoh's magicians in the Old Testament who could replicate some of the plagues, right? They could do some of the things that Moses was doing. But there's something different about miracles. Simon immediately recognizes it. Yeah, I'm doing whatever it is that I'm doing, but I see Philip, and man, Philip's got real power. 
We see it in, again, the story of the plagues in the Exodus. Pharaoh's magicians, they're able to do some of this stuff, but then as we go through the plagues, eventually the magicians realize, ah, oh, we're out of our league here. Whatever this guy Moses is doing, it's better than what we're doing. And so miracles serve as this official ultimate stamp of authority. Listen to this person. And this idea of laying on of hands, that only the authority, or only the apostles could convey the miraculous gift through this ability, that kept ultimate authority with the apostles, right? Because only they, the thing that was unique about them, well, not the only thing, one of the things that was unique about the apostles in the first century, they were the only persons that could give people miraculous gift, which meant they ultimately had the final authority. And Simon knew this, because what does Simon immediately think? Oh, the, uh, the apostles do this? Well, let me do it too. Give me the ability to do this. And of course, he's rejected. Peter says, no, you can't do that. How dare you think you could do that? And so the ultimate thing for us, no one's around today to do this, which keeps ultimate authority in the teaching of the apostles. No one can supersede it even today. So we think about this as a list in a list of elementary doctrines. The practical effect of laying on of hands as a foundational principle, first principle of Christianity is that today we must still devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Acts 2.42, we, we read that. Again, Acts 2, the beginning of the, the church, Peter is preaching this sermon. He is, he is, God has made him both Lord and Christ. It's Jesus whom you crucified. They're cut to the heart. What do we do? Repent and be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This great thing happens. So many people are converted. And then they are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Why? Why are they doing that? Because, again, the apostles were the ones commissioned to create the church in Jesus' name. He gave them that work, right? He even did it with Paul as he calls Paul on the road to Damascus. And because no one has that ability, because no one has the ability to supersede that authority... We today, still, why do we go back to the Bible so much? Why do we care so much about what the Bible says? Why do we keep going back to the New Testament and trying to figure out what they did, the first century church? Because this is the chain of authority, demonstrated by the laying on of hands. And so we continue to devote ourselves to their teaching even today. And as we offer the invitation, it is a continual call to return to the truth of Jesus' teaching to repent of our sins, to be immersed into Christ, to confess before men, to live faithfully. Why? Because of the last two of our lists we're going to go into next week, right? The resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. Those things are still true today. And so we offer the invitation to be ready. Come while we stand and sing.